Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I am the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. If you haven't already done it, you should have. If not, I don't know why. Hit subscribe on YouTube and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to be connected with you. Today, you are going to meet Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She is incredibly high energy, super smart. I learned a lot from her. And we're talking all things addiction. You're going to learn her story. She's double board certified in psychiatry and substance abuse medicine. And we're going to dive into what addiction really is and who it affects, because it might not be what you think. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, I am so excited to be joined today by Dr. Nzinga Harrison, the co-founder of Physicians for Criminal Justice Reform. I'm going to go through a long list of credentials here because she's a busy woman. She is also the chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health. She is double board certified in psychiatry and addiction medicine and is also a podcast host and a very good one at that. And anything else we should add to that? Welcome, Nzinga. Thank you, Tamika. Um, I would add to that wife, mom, sister, friend. Absolutely. Those are the, the important things, right? Yep. <laughs> so I want to know, before we get back into more about you, dive deeper into your story, tell me more about what you do. What is your day-to-day -day like right now? Ooh, like many people, my day-to-day -day life happens right here in my home office. My day-to-day -day is chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health. So we started this company um, just about 16 months ago. So we launched the company in May and opened our first clinic in September. And we provide um, outpatient mental health and addiction treatment services. And so our growth has been explosive and amazing, like the number of people who are trusting us to come into their communities and into their lives and be of service. But so just like every day, I'm making sure our culture is what it needs to be. I'm making sure that our community members are feeling a warm embrace every single time they interact with us. I'm making sure that my medical team and clinical teams are delivering care according to the evidence base in a way that helps people's lives get better. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing day to day that is crazy busy. And then of course, every day I'm a mom to two teenagers. So my boys are 15 and 13. We just started virtual high school. Oh, um, that's wonderful. And how's that going with virtual learning? I think about my friends that have four year olds and first graders trying to Ugh. do school. And then trying to work. And work. And my my kids' teachers, like they have their own kids who are at home 
in virtual school while they're trying to teach my kids. And I just, I am so grateful. My kids are just beautifully responsible, wonderfully baked teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do not envy someone who has a, a young one, a four or five or six year old at home. So 16 months ago, you said you you mm-hmm. started Eleanor Health. OK. And so you kind of answered that question because I was going to ask maybe how you've been impacted since COVID, because it's, it's pretty close to opening before this whole pandemic changed everything. Um, oh, well, May 2019. May 2019. Gotcha. So still yeah. a year before. How have you have you seen changes in your business or just people need you more? Huge. People need us more. I mean, we already were obviously two feet in the middle of an addiction crisis, um, including the opioid crisis. But we've also just been in the middle for a long time in this country of like an emotional crisis. And so the mental health crisis, the physical health crisis, the pain crisis, all of those feed um, what we've been seeing in the addiction crisis, the COVID just made that so much worse. So anxiety is off the charts for people. Depression is off the charts for people. When anxiety and depression get off the charts, then so do drinking and smoking and using pills. And so do chronic pain and physical health conditions. And so all of that um, is getting worse. And then at a time where we're not supposed to be in person together. Traditionally, healthcare is delivered in person. Right. And so we were doing some virtual care at Eleanor Health before COVID came. And then in the span of two to three weeks, we just had to figure out a way to go to like almost 95% virtual care just to make sure we didn't lose any of our people. So huge changes. So I want to know if you take me back in time, <laughs> what led you down this path um, to doing what you're doing right now? This is a long story, Tamika. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> I want to hear it because this is all about your story because I truly believe that we all have our why, right? We all have the reason why we do what we do. Yeah. And that is, that's why this show is here. I know you help other people on their path to living healthier and being them their best selves. But there's a reason why you do that. Yeah. Um, I was being raised in the 70s in Indiana, um, majorly white. As a black girl in the suburbs, my dad was commander of the local Black Panther militia. My mom was a school teacher and activist in her own right. And so I was really raised from the womb with activism and advocacy and speaking out against injustice, kind of just like baked into my DNA, baked into my my nature and my nurture. Um, very early on, I kind of fell in love with science. And so I knew that I wanted to be a doctor probably by like six years old. But what I also knew was that the experience I was having with my pediatrician, I was like, he's not a good doctor. Now, that gives you insight into my personality at six years old. Because yeah. Because know at six years old about <laughs> what a good doctor is or not. Absolutely. 
right? But what I figured out later in my life, now that I am a doctor, and once I figured out the kind of doctor I wanted to be, was that um, I was invisible in the room. Hmm. So yes, I was only six years old, but he didn't talk to me. He didn't say, how are you doing? He literally came in the room, talked to my mom, examined me, talked to my mom, told my mom the plan. That's the end of the visit. And so while I couldn't put my finger on why I thought he wasn't a good doctor, now I have my finger on that um, because in seventh grade, so I decided I'm going to be a pediatrician and I'm going to be a better pediatrician than my pediatrician. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. So seventh grade, I developed scoliosis and went to go see an orthopedic surgeon. And luckily I avoided surgery, although I did wear a back brace for three years and that was crucial. But I met my surgeon, Dr. Mark, and immediately the first visit, I was like, that's the kind of doctor I want to be. And because even though I only saw him like orthopedic surgeon, you're not spending a lot of time in that office, maybe nine minutes, maybe 11 minutes. Right was the length of our visits, but every visit was like, tell me what's going on with you. How are you? Oh, you were trying out for cheerleading last time you were here, right? Did you make the squad? Oh, you play the piano, right? What song are you working on? It wasn't about medicine. It was like, he saw me as a person mm-hmm. that was worthy of his time and fit hearing what I thought about things. And he would explain, like, you know, pull out his little diagrams and this is how I'm making my medical decision and how, what do you think about that? And I was like, that is the kind of doctor I will be. And, and so it's hard to find. It's hard to find. And when you like, I have a, I have one doctor in particular who is, who is exactly like that. She will remember, even if I haven't seen her in a year. She will ask about my mom and she will remember the boyfriend and how is he like she will remember everything. And I drive 40 minutes <laughs> to her office it's a, and I've been going to her for over 10 years. So I wouldn't change it. So I think when you find that. Yeah. And, and what's kind of sad about that is it's not the individual doctors most of the time, but the healthcare systems that we've constructed in this country make it almost impossible to really spend the time that it takes to care about people within the context of a medical visit. And so our patients experience that like doctors don't care when the majority of doctors went into medicine because we care deeply. We literally created Eleanor Health to get away from that system into a value-based system that is like, pay us for the outcomes, pay us for people getting better, pay us for people staying with us, pay us for reducing the cost to provide care because the relationship creates a scene that keeps people connected. And so we're like creating that time and that space for us to like actually be humans that are caring deeply for other humans. So that value-based pricing, how does that work? Yeah, so there's a whole spectrum kind of at the very like easiest, most simplest way is we have a person that has a mental health diagnosis or a substance use disorder diagnosis 
Um, and once they join our community, their insurance just pays us a monthly fee. Ah. And you just pay us a monthly fee and we spend as much time as we need to and we do whatever we need to do for that person. Because like another thing where American healthcare has really gone wrong is this idea that a pill can fix it. Mm -hmm. So like, what is it? Let me give you a pill and that's all it's going to take. And that is not true for any illness, period, ever. Amen. Amen. Mm. Amen. <laughs> it, is, it is not true. But like our community recovery partners are like the closest relationship in our model. They're people with their own experience with addiction. And they, um, you know, they're, they're one of the teammates that's on the team for the people we take care of. You hear the stories that they tell and it's like this, you know, my community member wanted to journal. He thought that would help him, but he only had a notebook and it was tattered and he didn't want to write in it because he thought his writings would get lost. And so the next time I saw him, I surprised him with a leather bound journal. No fee for service mm. insurance code for that. Right. None. But is that person, does that person know we care about him? Yes. Absolutely. Is that person going to keep coming back to us? Yes. When that person gets sick, is he going to call us instead of going to the ER because he knows that how we're going to treat him when he comes? Yes. And so that leather bound journal only costs $10, but like the American Express commercial says, priceless. Right. That interaction between those two. And so in a regular fee for service, we can't do that. We can't spend $10 on everybody because your business goes under. But in a value-based environment where we know that journal is going to get us better life outcomes for that person, right. we have the money because it came in the bundle. But also the other side is that we share the risk. So if your people get worse, we'll give some of the money back. Yeah. No, if I people get better and saved you money. We want to share that money. Share <laughs> saving, right? no. You knew you wanted to go into the medical field. You wanted to be a doctor because you care about people. Why? At what point did you know that that was addiction recovery? In medical school, you have to rotate through all of the major specialties. And so when you get your medical doctor, you're basically you have like generalist knowledge set. In, in all of the major organ systems. And psychiatry is one of those rotations. Okay. And I never considered psychiatry a medical specialty. The only thing that I knew about it was Freud lay on my couch. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see any value in that. I see value in that today, mm -hmm. I'm a psychiatrist, but as a, you know, as a young person, I didn't see any value in that. I was like, where's the science? Like, give me some science. And so when I did my psychiatry rotation, boy, did my eyes open to the world of science and neurobiology and neurochemistry and physiology that underlies feelings and decision makings and behaviors. And I was like, this is incredible. And so I, the scientist in me loved it. And then the time that you got to spend with your patients, really learning those humane aspects and those life experiences, that's what I was looking for from my mm -hmm. pediatrician. That's what Dr. Mark gave me. I loved it. And then seeing the abject, absolutely unacceptable way that healthcare infrastructure treats people 
with mental illness and with addiction that tapped my activist and advocacy and social justice and health justice bones. And I was like, I'm shocked, but psychiatry has chosen me and the addiction medicine is the, I say psychiatry is the redheaded stepchild of medicine and addiction medicine is the redheaded stepchild of the redheaded stepchild. What did you see that opened your eyes that you were like, I'm shocked? Oh, I mean, just from the, the way doctors even talk about people with mental illness. So get that crazy person out of my ER, get that junkie out of here, get that addict out of here. And you like literally have a person in front of you who is in a devastating amount of emotional pain and struggling and like in the most need. And it was like, just call psych, get them out of here. Or they're crazy, their complaints are not real. Or they don't want help, they've been here three times. And it's like, can you not see how the system is contributing to keeping these people sick and making these people sicker? And the system like doesn't even care. Right. Does it, it was literally like you could walk out that door and die and my life will be the same today because that's mental illness. And why do, like, I want to ask, why do you think that is? Because I, I just actually interviewed someone who is in uh, is openly autistic and she um, has a great story and um, is now kind of tapping into that activist role as well as far as um, you know, disability rights. She was the first openly autistic um, lawyer in the state of Florida and speaks a lot about disability rights. And, you know, our conversation just talked about um, education. And so I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on why you think that is. Is it a lack of education and just people, you know, why is it that the, the medical system is contributing and or ha people have that initial response? I'll start with the individual, like very, very basic, the way animals work, which is we're pack animals. And the more you are like us, the more, the more you are like me, the more biologically I am to have the drive to protect you and help you, like period. Mm -hmm. Also, the more different you are from me, just like baseline brain biology, the more I am to perceive you as a risk, a risk or as dangerous. And that just goes back to survival in the wild. Like, okay, if it walks on two feet, that's probably safer than if it walks on four feet it might eat me, right? right. So that's just like, that's <laughs> no judgment call, that is just how the brain works. And I think when you look at the symptoms of mental illnesses and addictive disorders, those symptoms are thinking, those symptoms are behaviors, those symptoms are decision-making, those symptoms are emotions. And as humans, we think that we choose those things. And so when you're having symptoms along that, the lack of understanding is like, oh, you're choosing that. And so you get what you choose. So you saw that your eyes were opened and you were also, it sounds like intrigued by how much you could learn about your patient and connect with them because it was, it, it's almost like that next step. You're not just treating the body. That's right. So <laughs> from there, that's when you knew you wanted to pursue addiction recovery or yeah, psychiatry? psychiatry chose me psychiatry chose me um and then so uh after that happened then you do electives 
And so I just happened to do an elective, which was an addiction elective. Bob Winery was an addiction psychiatrist. So I went to University of Pennsylvania um, School of Medicine, Penn Med, and he was the liver transplant psychiatrist. Doesn't that sound amazing? Liver transplant psychiatrist. Liver transplant psychiatrist. It was incredible. So we saw all of the people who were on the liver transplant list and we did their pre-transplant psychiatric evaluations and we did their post-transplant psychiatric care. And it was so interesting because part of it, a lot of the reason people were getting liver transplants was alcoholism. Okay. And so we kind of like had to make the call, can this person get a liver transplant? And I know Bob was just brilliant. It's shown on me the amount of activism and and, and advocacy that was required to keep the system from literally pushing these people into a pothole that led to their death from liver failure. Um, And then he was doing research on some like sentinel therapeutic techniques that we use today. Motivational enhancement therapy was just being developed and we were like on the ground floor of that research. And it was like, this is fascinating. But being in the hospital every single day, literally having to advocate for people's lives not to be signed away from the liver transplant service, like baked in my bones, I'm going to practice addiction medicine. I had the pleasure to recently be on your podcast. Uh, So it it really opened my eyes in a way. So I I have some questions, but first, I think it seems like an obvious question, but I think you can explain it in a way. Um, (laughs) We wanna hear from you. What is addiction? Because I think a lot of people myself included, might just have, you know, one idea of what addiction mm-hmm. is. So how do you define that? What What is addiction? <laughs> yeah, so I'm podcast host of um, In Recovery, which is- That will be linked again. below in the show notes. <laughs> and uh, it was my pleasure to have you on. <laughs> so the definition we use on that show is anything a human being continues to do despite negative consequences. Mm. Um, and so very importantly, as animals, which humans are, as animals, we don't do anything that's not bringing us benefit. Even when a behavior has risen to the definition of addiction that we're using, which is like continuing to do that behavior despite negative consequences, there are still benefits there. It's just that the negative consequences have topped over those benefits and still we keep engaging in that behavior. And so this is a conceptual definition of addiction. And so we can think about some of the episodes we've done, work, technology, exercise, relationships, like all of these things Mm. are that we can engage in to our own detriment and yet keep doing it the same way. Medically, substance use disorders are a subset of addiction. And so those have diagnostic criteria that we use, but there are also other addictions like gambling addiction, 
um, that have diagnostic criteria. Then that leads me to, because I'm hearing things, right? Work, exercise, food, relationships. In my case, what we talked about, control. Control. I mean. All. I think we <laughs> talked about for you. All. all, yes. So, I mean, I'm just thinking of myself, people I know. I, I almost feel like everyone I know could probably fit into yeah. one of those addictions yes so really point that's the whole point tamika of the podcast in recovery because those stories you were having me tell earlier about the way the healthcare system treats people with addiction goes back to what i was saying that basic biological phenomenon of being more motivated to protect people who are like us and so we've built up this stigma that people with addiction are not us. And if I can see that in myself, then that person looks more like me and just biologically, I'm more intrinsically motivated to reach out and want to help that person because now I see that person in me or I see myself in that person. I just got chills because the light bulb went off. That makes so much sense. And after being on your podcast, listening to your podcast, learning more about you. I mean, that was one of the questions I wrote down to ask you is, does addiction affect all of us? I think there is something every single person could look at in their life and say, I would probably better be better off if I either didn't do that at all, or if I did that differently, or if I did that less. And despite knowing that, I'm still doing it the same. Right, right. It makes those that we think just fall into the addiction category for drugs or alcohol more relatable, right? We more, I feel more understanding because of that and knowing that. What type of individuals do you work with at Eleanor Health? Uh Uh-huh, so at Eleanor Health, we say that being affected by substance use is what turns the key. That could be cigarettes, alcohol, pills, marijuana, amphetamine, any drug. And you don't have to be the person that has the addiction to that. If you have been affected by that, if you have a family member, if you have a loved one, because um, what we know is that we say like, your primary care doctor doesn't wait for you to have a heart attack to talk to you about your blood pressure and your cholesterol. So at Eleanor Health, we don't wait for you to have a severe substance use disorder before you can join our community. And so if you have any risk having been affected by at all, we know that increases your own risk for developing a substance use disorder, especially if it's somebody that you're biologically related to, because like all chronic medical illnesses, there's a genetic component to substance use disorders. And so um, we welcome those people to our community for support and and treatment and care. How have you seen COVID impact those who are struggling with substance abuse? COVID affected people who were not struggling. So many people who were not struggling with substances are now struggling. Um, And people who were not using at all are now using. And people who were already struggling are struggling even more. You have the deep part of the brain that we share with animals. That part of the brain 
is purely to keep you alive. Like survival is that part of the brain's job, period. And whenever a sense of danger, stress, anxiety, depression, that deep brain interprets all of that like, nope, loneliness, like, nope, gotta go. It's dangerous, get rid of it by any means necessary. And alcohol gets rid of that in the moment. Marijuana gets rid of that in the moment. Heroin gets rid of that in the moment. Exercise gets rid of that in the moment. Work mm -hmm. gets rid of that in the moment. And your brain has been collecting information over your entire existence. Like what immediately resolves danger for us? And that part of your brain is not thinking about the future. So that part of the brain is not saying like, but if you drink that alcohol, given that your dad also had alcoholism, that might be risky. That part of the brain is <laughs> not where I am not thinking that, about. Tomorrow. That one is not talking to you at that point. I am thinking about <laughs> this moment right here, resolve this danger. And so what has happened from COVID is that the danger is really high. I don't know when I'm going back to work. I don't know when I'm going to see my friends again. I don't know when this government support is going to reduce my unemployment. I don't know how I'm going to, I lost my insurance. I don't know how I'm going to get this medication. So our brains can very much better tolerate a threat when we can see the end of it. Mm -hmm. When you have no idea when the end is coming, your brain experiences that literally as an existential threat. Alcohol sales were up 55% by April in this country. Marijuana use is up. Opioid overdose deaths are up in all of the states this time of year last year compared to this time of year now. People who are not smoking cigarettes are smoking cigarettes again. And it's because the brain is like, just protect me from this danger. Just protect me. So we have to find another way to protect people. I went through a time when I went through my own depression and it was because I couldn't see the light mm -hmm. at the end of the tunnel. And that was what my therapist had said to me, you know, we need to get you to where you can see that light at the end of the tunnel. And only until I saw that did I start to little by little feel better. Now, if we just can't see it because we don't know when this is going to be over, what can we do to kind of quiet down that part of our brain? Part of what your therapist did for you was hold the light for you even when you couldn't see it. And she said, there is a light and I know you can't see it, but I see it and you trusted her. And so you kept walking until you could get a glimpse of that light. And so part of what I always ask people, even if you don't have a therapist, just like regular old people like me and you, is that if you're at a point where you can be that light for someone, hold that light for someone. Say you have a grandmother who's elderly and medically compromised and so at very high risk for COVID. And you find yourself every day just worried. Like, I'm so worried, I'm so worried about my grandma, I'm so worried, I'm so worried about my grandma. Trying to replace that with a phone call every day with grandma and at the end of that phone call saying, I'm so grateful I had the chance to talk to my grandma today. And so you start interrupting that fear cycle with a gratitude touch point. And the more you practice that, just like everything, the more you do it, the, the more second nature it becomes. 
we start interrupting kind of that fear thought process because we know there is an end to COVID. We just don't know when it is. And so it's reminding ourselves like stand in today, mindfulness, remind yourself there is an end. It is coming. I don't know when it's coming, (laughs) but it's coming. So stand in today. And at Mm. some point we'll get close enough to the end that we will all see that little peak of light come through. I think that's a really, really great tip. Um, Lastly, I want to know what makes you feel most fulfilled about what you do? What really touches me and reinforces it is when a person says like, nobody ever cared for me like that. Or since my addiction started, I didn't, nobody made me feel valued like that. Or nobody saw the human in me. I couldn't even see the human in myself. And you guys see me. Like, it's those, you can hear me getting, like. That was your why from the time you were six. Period. And you are living it. Seeing people and having people be seen because like, doesn't it feel good to be seen? It feels really good. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Tell people where they can find you, learn more about you, connect with you, all the good stuff. Yes, so um, you can find me at Eleanor Health. So we're www.eleanorhealth.com. I specifically wanna point out, once we saw distress rising from COVID, we just launched free online support groups, free. No commitment. No, we don't need anything from you. Like just connect if you just connect. So you can find those on the website. Um, You can find me on the podcast in recovery. We are wherever you listen. So we're on every podcast platform and new episodes drop every Monday. Um, That's question and answer. So like Tamika reached (laughs) out and then we were like, oh, can you come on the show? And then it was amazing. So please reach out to us. Um, you can find me at, and we didn't talk too much about it, but Physicians for Criminal Justice Reform is a national nonprofit that I co-founded with a friend of mine who's a neurosurgeon, um, Eja Endome, and you don't have to be a physician to join, but it is anybody who wants to advocate for that space where health and criminal justice overlap. Mm. Um, We know that there's a bi-directional relationship between involvement with the criminal justice system and health. And so we advocate on behalf of healthcare, on behalf of criminal justice to come together to kind of, to make that be the best that it can be. So you can find us there. If you just Google physicians for criminal justice reform, you'll find us. I'm really interested in learning more about that. Actually, we might have to have you back on another (laughs) podcast and dive deeper into that one. (laughs) well i'll make sure to link to your website and all of that below in the show notes so people can find you very easily is there anything else before we go that you wanted to add that i didn't ask um i always i say this a lot and so i'll say it here also which is that we have made it pretty risky and unsafe in this country to ask for help for a mental health need or for addiction And so what I always charge people with is even though we've made it pretty unsafe, the healthcare system is overflowing with individuals who care deeply. 
it is overflowing. Even though the systems a lot of times don't make it seem that way, overwhelmingly the people in the system care deeply. And so please just take the risk. Take the risk to ask for help if you need it. And if you're in a position to help and you see somebody who you think might need it, none of this mind your own business, none of that. Take the risk to offer your help. I love it. Great advice. Great chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Make sure you go down below in the show notes and find Nzinga's information, her website. All of that is linked below because again, remember, she's just started offering through Eleanor Health free online support groups. We all need someone to help us hold that light at the end of the tunnel right now. We're all going through a difficult time and that's a great option that she's offered. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope to see you back next week. Remember, connect with me on LinkedIn, hit subscribe on YouTube, and I'd also love to hear what you think of the show. It helps me improve it each and every week to give you more of what you are looking for. So go ahead, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to hear from you and stay connected. Until next week, stay happy, stay healthy.